A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Origins. I'm Paul Verhoeven and sitting across from me, literally sitting across from me in a very annoyingly echoey room is my dad, John Verhoeven. Dad, how are you feeling this morning? Paul, it's very unusual for me to be sitting opposite you because I can tell I'm sitting opposite you because I'm looking down at your quite hairy wrist. What a weird thing to say. I know, but it is weird because normally I'm looking down at a towel. Yeah. So we're here in Melbourne. It's it's comparatively freezing. It is very cold, yes. Yes. But then I looked at the temperature in uh in Sydney and it's colder. Is it? Yes. So once again you think Sydney's winning over Melbourne. Well, it's colder, so that's yeah. <laughs> okay. it's, anyway, it's funny. Um I mean, look, we saw each other a couple of weeks ago. We were in Brisbane doing this Acast event. But this time you are sitting in uh, the apartment that Tegan and I have mm. and mum is over in the corner of the room um, yep. trying to make herself as invisible as possible. Uh, but just for the record, listeners, I have tried to cajole mum into coming over and getting on the mic. She will. I don't think she's ever going to do it again, are you, mum? She's, shake, she's, she's shaking her head. She won't even say no. She won't even give you the dignity of a verbal response. <laughs> Just shaking her head again. Oh, yeah, that's mum. That's mum. She gave She's us the, a woman of few words. We got a two, yeah, we got like a, me. Oh, you wish. We got a two-hour special out of her. We got five hundred hours out of you. Actually, I did a call out to listeners. If anyone can figure out exactly how many hours of content we have uh, put up into your ears, then please do some maths and let us know. Mm. I'd be curious. You know, they send you like a gold record if you do a certain amount of stuff. Mm. A gold record. Anyway, this week we're looking at chapter 30, which is called Under a Full Moon. Now, chapter 30 is kind of... You have often talked about the hijinks that yourself and Julian and a bunch of other people would get up to. Now, you told... Before we get into this chapter, you once told me a story, which I hope isn't apocryphal, which is you and Julian used to go skydiving. Mm. And you told me a story about something that you and the other skydivers would do in a bar involving fingers... Is yes, this, that was amazing. Can you please clue us in on this? Wow, Paul, you remembered that from so many years ago. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that you mentioned it because uh, I have to dig into the deep recesses of my mind mm. to, um, to bring up that, uh, that thing. And it's kind of, are you sure I haven't mentioned this before? I'm pretty sure you haven't. It's Look, as we know, one of the running jokes about you, Dad, when I was going to school was that 
everyone else would say, oh, my dad is a truck driver. And I'd say, yeah, well, my dad uh, is a cop and he was a skydiving guy and he did scuba diving and he did all, you know, you basically sounded like, like a superhero at that mm, point. Mm. But the skydiving was what interested me. Um, and one of the things I wanted to establish, especially with this chapter in mind, is that you were a bit of a prankster, mm, I guess. Mm. Well, I, uh, the very first time that I went out onto the drop zone, mm. uh, which is like a small aerodrome. Do people say aerodrome these days? What's an aerodrome? It's like a small airport. It's like a drop zone. <laughs> with a tiny runway. Right. And we used to use, I say we, mm. the drop zone, the, the parachute skydiving school that I was a member of. We used to use small planes, uh, generally Cessnas. Mm-hmm. And all the pilots were were pilots getting their hours up who would ultimately go on and fly a commercial aircraft. Okay, and they would start by basically dropping young men over fields. And women. Yes, of course. Yes. So a good friend of mine who was a science teacher... But he also owned a uh, uh, like a driving school, mm. quite quite a well known driving school. He and I, on our very first, so we'd done the theory in the city at the Sydney Parachute Skydiving School. So they make you do a bunch of paperwork and maths to figure out. I mean, how how because you've talked about the entry process into the fire brigade, mm. and you said it was several days in a classroom in the city with yep. you know. In order to get someone certified to jump out of a plane, first of all, how old were you at this point? I would have been maybe 18, maybe. Right. Um, and you've got to be certified to be certifiable <laughs> uh, because it's, it, it, it does. A lot of people do question one's sanity when mm. you say you're going to do skydiving. Mm. Uh, but it's not really skydiving at that stage. It's more parachuting where you just jump out of a plane. And we used to use military um, parachutes. Hang on, what's the difference between skydiving and parachuting? Because um, the skydive, okay, the skydive is where you jump out and then you deploy the chute and drift to the ground. Mm. So what's parachuting? Is that not what similar? How similar? Pretty well the same. It's the same thing, okay. Yeah. And uh, but anyway, on the we rocked up to a place called Wilton, which is sort of out of Sydney, pitch black, middle of nowhere, and we we arrived on the Friday night and everything was really kind of creepy and dark. So we were a little bit bored in my friend's car. We drove out into this paddock mm. and we started doing donuts and just basically having fun in the dark, sort of tearing around, screaming around this field. And then we then went to the, like this hangar where we pulled out our sleeping bags and went to sleep. We woke up on the Saturday morning mm. and what had happened was the owner of the skydiving school, he came rushing into the like this massive shed where people were just sort of sleeping and, you know, getting ready for the weekend. And he's screaming and he's insanely out of control. And what had happened was someone had inadvertently driven their car and done donuts on the runway and completely destroyed the runway. And I'm talking they couldn't take off. The little planes could not take off. Someone. Someone. And they had to get a grader in Mm. to resurface this sort of Dirt. No, I was going to say dirty, but this sort of dusty old country runway. Oh, my God. And then in the car park, of which there were probably 100 cars, one car Had was covered, <laughs> covered in mud. Of course, we didn't admit to owning that car until we waited until a Sunday night mm. and we surreptitiously, in, under the cover of darkness, we then drove off. So that was... 
kind of not a great way to start skydiving. And But once I really got into skydiving and, and high-powered motorbike, uh, sort of borderline racing and, and jumping off cliffs at midnight, you know, like really, really scary cliffs. What do you mean? Well, there was this massive cliff with a river underneath at the bottom, thank God. And we used to go to this pub in Picton. I mean, we were all basically crazy and I was always chasing the next adrenaline hit. I was obsessed with just with adrenaline. and uh, But as was everyone else in skydiving. Mm. And, you know, we'd go to this pub in Picton and then someone came up with this crazy idea that someone would lie down on the floor in the pub mm. and maybe six of us would stand around and we'd start chanting. Christine's looking at me. No, she's not looking. And... um. It's very disconcerting during a podcast to have Christine looking. Yeah, it's like a she's like an owl. She just kind of slowly yeah. turns her head. And, yes. Yeah, nothing. No. Anyway, um, so what we did, we chanted, and then we each just put our pointer fingers mm-hmm. down, and we 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 this chant would go round and round and round, and sort of give us this um, this weird. And I didn't the first time I did this, I quite frankly didn't believe what was about to happen. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, we reached down with just your fingers, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, we just Literally threw the person up through the roof. What do you mean through the roof? Well, they literally hit the ceiling. But did they go through it? Not quite. But right, they, so they didn't go through the roof. No. They but... hit the roof. <laughs> and then they came crashing down. The way you told it to me was they literally exploded through the masonry and were in some sort of <laughs> attic area and then they fell uh, back down. Yeah, something like that. But... Something like that, but not that. Well, shit. They hit the roof and came back down. Yeah, but it was amazing to think that... I mean, normally if you had... S- like quite a few people just yeah. to physically pick someone up. Mm. Now, the thing was they had to lie prone, so super straight like a piece of timber. Yep, okay. And then you'd throw them up. And, mm. and, and it was all about the power of suggestion. Yes, like you suggesting to me that they went through the roof. <laughs> so Paul, fucking bored. Paul, why are you? why are we talking about this? Well, okay, here's the thing. You established yourself pre-police as a kind of rat bag, mm, true, true. as per this story, and a, and a thrill seeker. Now, chapter 30 is specifically about something of that kind of ilk. Like, mm. it, you know, it's a deck of the same mischievous ship, mm. and it's happening during your time on the police force. So yourself and Julian and a bunch of other people basically were out drinking, and then what happened? And by the end of this story, listeners, please, I challenge you to tell me that it's not the same John that through someone, if not through a roof, then at it. I'm quite sure upon reflection that that roof in that hotel mm-hmm. did at least crack. Okay. okay. Yeah. Now, as an aside to that, Paul, mm-hmm. this pub... In Picton. In Picton mm. had a very, very unusual room. It had a room with large black and white photographs, as God is my witness, mm-hmm. of Barry Humphreys... You know Barry Humphreys? Yes, Dame Edna. Dame Edna, yeah. Sir Les Patterson. Mm-hmm. But it was a series of large black and white photographs of him with a massive glove on inseminating cows. So his entire probably right hand up to his armpit was up a cow's um, anus. Right, so... I think, or it, would it be the vagina of a cow? Is that the room where if you'd all been there, you all would have put one index finger inside a cow? <laughs> Inseminated. Well, it wasn't that interesting, though. I yes, mean, no. Fairly, I, look, uh, if I anyone, mean, do you think we have any listeners in Picton? Um, I would hope so. Yeah. Well, if you're in Picton and you know this room, 
uh, please verify. This is because- going back to the 1970s. It seems like the kind of thing that they would keep, right? Mm. It seems mm. like the kind of odd thing where you'd walk in and they'd be like, oh, that's the, that's the, that's the cow room. And you'd say, what mm. does that mean? You know. But I imagine that those photographs, if they had have been commissioned mm-hmm. by the owner of the hotel, for example. Yeah. Because, you know, let's face it, I've been involved in art now for at least well, over 40 years mm. and I hang art professionally. So I've hung tens and tens of thousands of photographs and paintings for many, many collections and mm. collectors. And I have never in my life encountered these this series of photographs. I mean, it may well, after this, I might go and do a bit of a search and see whether they are known. What if they're, they're being kept there as leverage? Like the pub owner and Barry Humphreys had a sort of stoush and the pub owner said, if anything ever happens to me, I'm going to release these photos. Mm. And then after a while, he just framed them. Mm. It's interesting. It's fascinating. It's funny what you remember in life, isn't it? You go back. I mean, I'm, as everyone knows, I'm pretty bad with names. Um, But I can remember things in the past in some detail. But one of the guys in in our sort of, in our group of, of sort of adrenaline Chasers, I guess. Yep. Uh, was an English guy and he had a massive motorbike. Oh, so big. And I think it was a Yamaha, maybe 1000. And one of the things we used to do after sort of having a bit of a night on the, on the town, we would then ride uh, back to the drop zone with no lights on at high speed through the, through the you know, through the, the back roads. I mean, seriously dangerous. So high speed bike riding at night time, probably around midnight with no lights on. So yeah, a lot of the stories involving you driving mm. in loose units have you driving extremely fast. And I've often asked you why you joined the police force. Is now now I'm thinking, is a small part of it the fact that you would be legally allowed to do definitely some of that stuff? Hundred percent. Have I ever told you the story when Christine was pregnant? Is that one? It's on the podcast, yeah, where you okay. would. So, and I almost killed the entire, maybe the, the Gypsy Jokers or the Hells Angels or mm. the Common Shiros, the Banditos. It was one gang. Were you driving into them? No. Well, I fell asleep at the wheel. Right. And then they were around you. Well, what happened was Christine was eight months pregnant. We we're heading to Brisbane. Mm. It was the sun was just about to come up. I've yep. been driving all night. It's the worst time to be driving. Mm. In fact, from my experience in emergency services, that's when we went to a lot of fatalities where people would just fall asleep at the wheel. Yeah. And I began to nod and I should have pulled over straight away. And then when I kind of nodded and then kind of realized what I was doing, I had basically was about to wipe out an entire bikey gang, which could have been up to maybe 60 hardcore motorcyclists. Yeah. And then when I realized, and they all kind of swerved to avoid us, and I was really hot-footing it, but then I really put the foot down because we were in a really fast a triumph. And then I was shitting myself because I thought, well, this is it. It's a chase. Well, I, I in my mind, mm. and I do have a fertile imagination, I believe that they'd all just turn around like in Mad Max, hunt us down, chase us, rape me, maybe get Christine into the gang and head off into the sunset. I mean, all these things were going through my mind. Yeah, I think th- that's some weird stuff. Yeah. But just to drag us back on topic, so this John, pre-police force, right, seems completely out of the picture for a while mm. until we reach basically this chapter which involves yourself and a bunch of your mates including julian going to now what was the bar you went to in manly it was called uh it's that big hotel on, on the main 
Ocean. Sure. But you... um, not sure what it was called back then. It's not... I think it's the Novotel now. It's that building, right? Yeah, yeah. So you guys would go there. And is this the same place where there was that buffet, where there was the German guy serving in, in Electric Blue? Correct. Shit. So, yeah, everyone, in Electric Blue, one of dad's most disturbing stories. Uh, so bad. Yeah, involving this German guy who was serving up these meats at this kind of like buffet. The fact he's German is not relevant. Though. No, no, no. But it's how I remember him. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and... Effectively, one of the darkest stories in Loose Units history is in Electric Blue. You should get a copy of Electric Blue. It's a, it's a really good book. Um, so what we're going to do is zip into this chapter and have a look at this story. So yourself and Julian and a few other people. Okay, so you finish your drinking and you finish your partying and you've kind of, you know, had some kind of deeper meaningfuls. It's like two or three in the morning, right? Mm. And you guys effectively pull what I would say is a prank. Well, before the prank, yes. we um, one of our great friends, um, a, a, a terrific guy. In fact, you use his real name in the book. Right. His, his name's Ivor. Mm. And he had been the commissioner's driver. So he was a very, very highly skilled uh, driver of, of, of police vehicles. And he, he had been trained to the next level, whereby can you imagine if there was a threat yeah. made on the police commissioner... <clears throat> you know, by way of sort of a some organised, uh, like a kidnapping or a shooting, some major incident or an incident of, of extreme priority where he, he, the commissioner, had to get... Now, the commissioner never drives. Obviously, he's in the back of the car. Yeah. He's kind of chauffeur-driven, but by, a, by an incredibly highly trained uh, police officer. But how do you, as an officer, go from being chauffeur, which is very rule-abiding, very calm, you know, very chill driving... To sudden evasive combat driving, like how do you make that? Well, can you imagine if you're the driver of, say, the American president? Yeah, you're not just some, you know, old sort of like guy like in Batman. You know, the old chauffeur. Hey, Alfred Pennyworth is ex-military. I'll have you know. Okay, well, I didn't know that, but you know, but 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 the the drivers that would that they'd use, they had to be very very. They you had to be kind of. Combined being very aggressive mm-hmm. and, and sort of proactive, but also defensive. I mean, there are two types of driving. Right. There's, there's, there's defensive driving where you're anticipating all the possible things on a, on a sort of a very rapid micro level in, all the time. And people do it and should do it when they're driving, i.e. checking all the mirrors, yep. being very aware and thinking about scenarios about what could happen. Is that car on the left going to pull out in front of me? And that's, that's, that's sort of very much um, defensive that's a, driving. It sounds like what you're describing sounds like the mindset of a bodyguard, basically, mm. where you are looking to protect your right. Because a bodyguard doesn't actively seek out to kind of attack no, no. people out to his attack. objective is to protect the cargo and cargo get away. being and get away, and yeah. that's and the cargo being the police commissioner. So Ivor was had been um, he was an amazing fuck. He was a great policeman, and I was privileged to work with him. And he was a friend as well. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Anyway, he, unbeknownst to me, I think it was Dave, sort of back in the day, folks, when you actually had to go to a telephone booth and put money in it, although there were techniques of getting free calls out of booths. Really? Where you could click, like click, for example, if you... Let's say you had a prefix of 451, which was the prefix for Beacon Hill. So you'd go click, 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 like you do four clicks, Mm -hmm. and that was a four. You'd pause, then go five clicks, pause. One click, pause. So you've already done 451. You could do that. I don't know where I learned that, but you could actually make free calls, which is pretty exciting. Hang on. So when you say click, do you mean put the kind of receiver down? down? Receiver down. But wouldn't that just stop the call? No, no, no. You did it rapidly. Oh, so it was like... It was dialing. Because that's what dialing was in the early days. When you dialed around to the nine again, and it was dialing, so you'd simulate that. Oh, my God. So I learned that, but there was also a phone booth in Manly near the wharf, and you could make international calls for free. Really? And people just got to know these things. Right. Which I guess is a kind of fraud. Okay, so Ivor... He got the call from Dave, and he came down. After drinks? Yeah, we'd been drinking. He hadn't. So... What, oh, hang on, wouldn't he be a bit pissed about No, not at all. It was, a, it was a, like a gentleman's agreement. What car, What was he driving? His uh, car? 5.8 litre um, ex-highway patrol car, pursuit car. Right. And these things, they were scary. And he came down and he picked us up. But there's one thing you haven't said in the book, Paul. Mm. I read it this morning. And I, I know that last week we had a bit of a chat about, you know, what I'd witnessed and I felt a bit, you know, I was pretty, I found that quite an intense episode. Um, and then I read this chapter this morning and I thought, oh, shit, here we go again. I didn't really want people to think any less of me, but I did have a full bladder and what? I walked. Well, oh, sorry, yes. Oh, no, I thought you meant when you were listening to the podcast. No, you're no, saying- no, no, I had a full bladder on the night and we were all pretty, you know, we were pretty drunk, to be honest with you, but, but at least we weren't driving. And what happened was I remember I went across the road and I was desperate for a pee. And I think we all were and we basically stood there- um, Sort of the the three, I was going to say the three musketeers, but I actually thought accidentally the three stooges, and we all we were all having a leak. 
um, in full view of everyone across the road because people were coming out of the, this big nightclub. But at the, so when you're at Manly Wharf, when you're in Manly, so you, there's a road and then there's a couple of footpaths and there's a, like a, a sandstone wall and, and that, the sand. that drops off about yeah. a meter and a half to the sand. To the, to the sand. So and where are you standing? We're standing on the other side. On the sand? And, no, no, under those big trees, the Norfolk Pines. Yeah. But we turn back towards where we just left and we're all just standing there. We we're rotten. We we're actually... Pretty intoxicated. Facing the bar. Facing the bar. How lit is that area? Pretty well lit. But what happened was I remember Manly's um, truck, you know, 14-1, the paddy wagon, Mm. was cruising down. And we didn't care because we're in – this sounds terrible. Anyway, they did a U-turn right in front of us and and their headlights caught the three of us having a leak in in front of but opposite this nightclub. Right. And – they must have recognised us and they just kind of just kept going and they just, the senior man would have said, look, because technically we were committing an offence. Right. Uh, you could call it willful and obscene exposure mm. or urinating in public or whatever it was. But they clearly recognised us and they just sort of kept going and they, they kind of left us to our own devices. And then Ivor rocked up and... um we were really pleased to see him and I remember I was sitting in the back and we were heading out of Manly and we were heading up sort of in a westerly direction and we came to the first big set of lights yep. and Ivor um, handed either um, you know, one of my mates this special key, like a silver key and we pulled up and I'm thinking, golly, what's going on here? And then one of the guys got out and he went over to the this sort of silver control box that controls the traffic lights and he went into a special mode. He clicked this with a key yeah, and it made the lights flash, which they normally do in an accident or something mm. to control the intersection. And I thought that was pretty cool. I'd never seen that done before. So when you get to a flashing set of lights, what are you meant to do? Stop? Well, everyone stops and slows down. So basically he's creating a choke point of traffic. Yeah, yeah. And then you drove to the next one. To the next one. And did it again. Yeah, and then we went to the next one and we actually ended up at a... I don't know if it's in the chapter, but we ended up at another like a disco nightclub thing in Cremorne. And by then we'd turned off pretty well every set of traffic lights, not off, but into flicking Fuck. mode. Um, that's why I was slightly reluctant to talk about this in today's <laughs> chapter because I'm thinking, golly, my, my police career is going down the gurgler. Oh, my God. Um, but look, it's the reality. And, and we did say, Paul, that we would you know, <clears throat> talk about everything. Yeah. And um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not necessarily... Um, proud, I'd say, uh, of even being associated with with this. But on the night, I, I thought it seemed like fun. And then we got to this disco, and I remember uh, I was pretty pretty under the weather. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I may have done a bit of gyrating on the illuminated dance floor because they used to have these weird dance floors, like in Saturday Night yeah. Fever. They used to have also used, they also used to have goldfish in their platform shoes. So yeah, some people I didn't. And, um, Wouldn't that kill the fish if you were dancing too hard? Um, I'm, I'm, look, I'm sure the the welfare of the fish in your shoe is not. The, you have to oxygenate the water, right? And it probably only you need a filter in there, is what you're saying. Maybe you could operate it with your toes, a little pump filter. Mm. Yeah. Yes. So you got to the club, you danced around. When you wake up from a night like that, and yeah. you go, oh, "Remorse for I'm, me." I'm a uh, I'm a police officer, and I did some stupid illegal stuff. Mm. Uh, I don't know whether I'd say illegal. Just a bit kind of wily. Yeah, yeah prankster. and that's the first and last time I felt pretty uh, 
pretty bad about that, mm. even though I actually, on this particular occasion. But I thought it was fun at the time. Yeah. And there'll be listeners out there that will say, John, you have you were very irresponsible, and I totally agree. Yep. Um, but, yeah, that's, um, you know, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And I was thinking about, you know how we touched on that summary justice, that comment I made last week? Yes. Well, I kind of did some some research about that, and I was thinking to myself that, and there will be police out there that will get a bit of an uncomfortable, I guess, creepy feeling perhaps. But I also do recall the opposite of that, but in a kind of similar manner where I made a decision spontaneous about, about justice. Uh, both There are two ways of dealing it, but you remember that night that I pulled over those four guys that were at university studying law? Uh, and they had all the, you know, the marijuana in the in the big sort of sort of a plate in the back of the car, and they realised that their lives, their law, they'd never be able to practice law. Mm. I realised the gravity. I thought I, I I weighed everything up, and you know, at the time I thought I can deal with this. There are two ways: we can either go and follow due process, mm-hmm. and I decided because I was a senior man to grab the marijuana, and I it was on a main road, military road in Mossman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, probably a Friday or a Saturday night and these guys were, they their lives, I mean, their lives had come to the crossroads where they realised that what I did in that moment was going to determine, and this sounds very dramatic, Paul, but I've often thought about the fact is that what I did then had a dramatic effect on their lives. Well, I've often thought that you put four more lawyers out into the world, which is a net loss. No, but it depends on what type of law they they practiced. Yeah. And, and, and in fairness, everyone is, no matter how you cut this. You need a lawyer. You have to. Yeah, of course. Of course. And, um, you know, every that's one of the great things about our, our, our system, our society, where yeah. we have due process. <clears throat> and, um, okay, firstly, I'll say that I grabbed the mull bowl, mull bowl, the bowl of mull, and I just threw it up into the air and it just all blew away. And I told them to fuck off. Okay, that, that's That's what I did. But I was reading yesterday, and I didn't talk to you and Tegan and Christine about this, but it was a story I read on the BBC News about two black guys in America that have just been awarded almost 100 million US because they were on death row for 30 years, and they found out when they were and they were um, they had very very low IQs, and the the police twisted and 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 really mucked around with them. And got them to confess to a rape that they did not commit. Right. And they've spent 30 years on death row. And they've been exonerated exonerated 100% Mm. through DNA. And, you know, their defense team went to bat for them when no one else would. Yeah. Now, when you think about the number of people, and people might go, oh, well, statistically speaking, it's a numbers game. It's... You know, that's maths. There are winners and losers on the balance of probability. Mm. You know, it's for the better good, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I'll tell you what, anyone out there, if you had a member of your family that had been incarcerated um, because of police, you know, not very much less so now, I can assure you, because of all the different, you know, techniques we have with records of interview, mm. i.e. videoing, although you can you can change, you know, there are ways of changing everything, aren't there? But... Um, yeah, so I, I know we're getting a bit off track. But well, I was going to ask what you're, what, what were you getting, getting at there? Um, or just pointing out a horrible thing you read. 
No, I was talking about. I'm not sure. That's okay. No, and it had a, had a good purpose. Um, I, no, I feel, I feel like you were going somewhere with that. Shit. You were talking about kind of miscarriage of justice and. Um, oh, that's right. Summary Just, justice. Yeah, the, and the fact is that because last week's episode really got to me, I felt actually. Right. I listened back to it the next day and I was kind of dreading. My objective was not to make you feel bad. I was no, just, but I, it was I, pretty heavy. And I thought to myself, Paul would have made a very, very good lawyer. You'd be very good cross-examining. Well, I think one thing I've learned from interviewing, because I've interviewed a lot of people, but interviewing you is interesting in that my inclination is kind of to go easy on you. And it's because it's tricky finding the right questions to ask. And sometimes with the show... Things come up and I go, you know what, I'll just let it go. But I thought, especially given where we are now politically and what's happening globally, I think it's important to point out these things and kind of interrogate you because when push comes to shove, you are one of the good cops, right? So it's important to kind of go, look, there are good cops, there are bad cops. You are listening to a show about one of the good ones. I think it's important to... And so I I wasn't worried that if I interrogated you on some stuff that was very principle-based, you would somehow reveal some deep-seated character flaw. I wasn't worried about that. Um, but yes, you're right. Doing the edit on that podcast was stressful. It was stressful listening to me pushing you on some really hard ethical things. Um, yeah, and, and and because when I knew what today's chapter was about, I yes. thought, oh God, this is going to paint me in a in a light again. No, this just, just no, this anyway. is kind of wacky hijinks. Yeah, but it's not. It's kind of is wacky. But imagine if there had been an accident that night. That's true. Where, you know, so you've got to weigh all these things up. Um, I mean, the time that I was, I mean, look. In the 1980s, folks, <clears throat> hand on heart, if you had a police badge and you got pulled over for speeding... Yeah, you were fine. Pr- you were fine. You wouldn't what get- would happen was yeah. they would ask to see your license. You would open up your wallet. Mm-hmm. The first thing the police officer would see looking down on you from he's on the road, he's looking down through the window at the driver, he sees you open your wallet, you never, ever, ever said anything. Yeah. When you were going to get your license out of your wallet, which back in those days was a paper license folded up, typed, so dodgy, and um, they would invariably see your police identification. It was a New South Wales police force metal badge and behind the badge was a certain colour of plastic. But you didn't pick it up and flash it. You just Never. Made, you made sure it was visible. You just made sure okay. that... I mean, it didn't happen. It's not a daily, weekly, or monthly occurrence. Mm. For me, it was extremely rare. It may have happened to me possibly maybe two or three times in maybe six or seven years. But the one time that I remember it did happen is that I was sort of in this mad sort of haze driving nonstop from Brisbane to Sydney. Yeah. And Christine was pregnant, which is not really relevant, but... We were in a really nice triumph. Is this the same triumph from the biker story at the start yeah, of the show? Yeah, so the beginning story was heading to Brisbane. Yep. This one was coming back. Yep. And I went through Tari about maybe two in the morning and I was I was really motoring. Oh, yes. You've, and, ma- you've and mentioned I, this before. And I overtook yeah, yeah. A, a police car, yeah, yeah. a paddy wagon, and they chased us. Mm. And I was in such a state. You know when you're driving at sort of 100, 120 kilometres an hour all day, all night, then all of a sudden you slow down to go in through a town. I know. And it's 60 and it feels as though you could just step out and run faster. Yeah. And that that's it. So I, anyway, look, I, I just kept going. It was There was not one person on the road. Except- this town was completely, except this paddy wagon. Yeah. So I overtook it. They chased us. Um, and then I realised I was being pursued. We pulled over. They, they clearly had the shits. Um, they came up to the to the um, to our car. They yeah. asked, um, you know, could I 
see your driver's license. I showed them my license. Inadvertently, they saw, um, not inadvertently, it's bullshit, but they saw my, my police ID and, and the words from this very senior police officer, two words he said to me, he said, fuck off. And that's it. So and to, off we went. To pull this back, let's say on this on the night in this chapter where yourself, uh, Iva's driving you around, you're turning off traffic lights or at least turning into hazard mode or whatever, and you're all drunk and you're all cops, let's say a police officer pulled you up and didn't know you were cops until he pulled you up, right? Yep. How serious would the uh, dickheadery have to be for him to not, to, to actually, you know, pursue it? Um, back in those days, yeah. it would not be pursued. Ever? Probably. What? Not. There's a dead body in the back. Well, that's different. Yeah, I'm, no. But you're I'm talking I'm, about the traffic lights. I'm asking. No, I'm asking what the line is. Oh, oh. So what? You know what I mean? Oh, like, it's anything serious. Oh, but if but but no, if the highway patrol pulled you over back then, yeah, on the balance of probabilities, because there used to be a saying about the highway patrol, and there'll be highway patrol officers out there that'll probably cringe. But this is, I'm just, hey, everyone, don't send me to Coventry just yet. This is a comment that I'm about to make, a statement of the time. And, of course, the, the comment was that the Highway Patrol would book their own grandmother. Now, that's a saying. However, my mother and father, your grandparents, yeah. they went up this road in Beacon Hill that clearly my dad should not have gone up. And, you know, the Highway Patrol, in their leggings and their leather peaked cap and their their you know, and they approached my mum and dad mm-hmm. and mum and dad had done something wrong. When was this? It's when I was in the police force. Oh, it's okay. It's so long ago. Yeah, great, but the, great. The, the police, the highway patrol, yep. were they were tough. Mm. And there was no excuse for mum and dad what they did. And my mother quickly winds the window down and starts prattling off about her son's a policeman and this and that, and they let her go. They basically said, look, that's fine, okay. which is kind of cool. And listeners... What I would like to also mention, I'm so glad we've just touched on the Highway Patrol because yesterday in Melbourne, or should I say out of Melbourne, on the other side of the Dandenongs, the mountain ranges, maybe 10 kilometres an hour over the speed limit, which in New South Wales is, a, is an offence. And these two Highway Patrol officers... Holding the gun. Holding the, you know, the, the speed gun. Not a regular gun. Uh, unbelievably, and, and we all witnessed this with our own, I guess, eight eyes at that point in time. That sounds horrifying. Heading um, towards these guys. And they had the camera clearly uh, set at the car. We were the only car on the road at that time. They simply gestured with one hand, waving down, 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 which was the indicator to slow down. Now, that would not happen in New South Wales. So full credit that was great. to these guys that basically it was like a caution on the run. But and I thought it was jolly decent. It was jolly decent. And that is police yep. exercising discretion, yes. which I think should be done more often. Yes. And a little idea that might sound a bit wacky to everyone mm-hmm. and perhaps to you, Paul, although you probably think a lot of what I say is wacky. But I think in terms of a PR exercise, something that I've thought about in New South Wales would be that every single time... You get pulled over for RBT, which is regularly. Yep. And most people blow negative, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The police department give them, for example, a mint lolly. A lollipop? No, a lolly. Like a tiny little lolly. Like a lollipop? Not a lollipop. Like a boiled sweet? <laughs> I think it would be very good for PR. Give it a lolly. Because if you, if you... Don't you think? You know when you give blood and they give you bickies and, yeah. and stuff? Yep. You know how many people... Look forward to giving blood because of that. 
maybe just me. But the idea of, yeah, getting an RBT and going, Don't oh, you think it's a nice idea? Yeah, if you're like, oh, fuck, I hate this. And then they give you a little sweet on a platter. No, I think it's a lovely idea. And I think if anyone in authority And then they just kind of put on some chapstick, lean in real close to here and just go, oh, the Fallon's lollies. Yeah. Not a sponsor. Anyway, I just think that... I think police can do things. Um, pe- look, there are going to be people out there, obviously, that just go, John, you're actually, you're actually losing the plot. But um, no, I think PR is important. Agreed. And, um, and I also think when, when police, are, the police that they, they can't always do this, but when they get police in front of cameras, I think they should, um, if they can, get police that, you know, can, can string two words together. Um, well, how about they get you to do their presses? Well, I, I would love to. To do PR, oh god, for the New South Wales Police Force. I'd say just the facts, and you'd be going on for every every fucking presser would be a be a episode of the podcast. You're like, oh, I'd like to welcome my son up, and we're going to do a. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's all the time we have for this episode of Loose Units Origins. We hope you've enjoyed it. Next week, we'll be talking about Chapter Thirty One, which is a super spooky chapter called "The Haunting of North Sydney Station." Um, this one's going to get really weird. I'm looking forward to it. So if you haven't already got your copy of Loose Units, grab it. If you haven't already got your copy of Electric Blue, bloody grab it. Grab it. Uh, and Booktopia is the best place to get a copy of uh, Electric Blue, the sequel to Loose Units. Mm. We miss you all terribly. We're going to be back. Um, Are we allowed to mention that we might be doing something? No, we can't. No, we can't okay. mention that thing. Cool. But uh, everyone's starting to guess what the thing is anyway. And there are... Oh, I was talking about that other thing. Oh, but there's another thing. In Melbourne. This is great for listeners just to go, what are they talking no, about? No, we can't. We can't no, say. No, I understand. Sorry. But, but, but it's going to be very exciting. I'm not, I'm going to there leave. are a few exciting things. There's lots of things in the pipeline. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, say say bye, mum. She waved. What a, what a flirt. Uh, and we, uh, we hope you're having a good one. We'll see you next time for another episode of Loose Units Origins. Bye. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Say bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.